morning, everybody. Good to be with you all. Thank you, Chris and Hannah, wherever you are, for the singing and unnamed bass player. I'm a, I'm a former bass player, and we like it that way usually. <laughs> so thanks so much for that. And um, Paul, if you're watching this in like three months, then thanks for the invitation today. And we want to bless Paul and Jessica and their, and their time away. And may God give them renewal and fresh words from him. I've been praying for him uh, for a few weeks now in this time. And it's been about 11 months since I was here last time, I think. So it's good to be back, good to be in person with, with all of you and be with you online as well. Today I have Ange and my son Jaron with me, and I'm glad to be 60% here as a family. So that's good. Um, I spent some years growing up here too, as, as some of you know. And one of the special things about this church is that it was one of the places that I discovered that there was more, uh, more about relating and living with the Holy Spirit than what I had known before. And so that's, that's something I'm really grateful to um, my junior high friend who uh, would invite me to youth events at, uh, yeah, I'm going to say it out loud, at the bad church. <laughs> I'm going to say it because I've mentioned this in a sermon here before. I think it's so good when we can go visit each other's churches. There's nothing better than that. Um, there's nothing that demonstrates that there's no fear when you can just walk into another church building and you can fellowship freely with the people there. And I want to encourage you all to do that if God prompts you to do that. What a great way to worship and what a great way to honor how much you value your local church that you're committed to here, specifically LCF, when you can visit other churches as an ambassador. So I bless you in that too. Last Sunday, you had Doug and Jan here, and I watched their full report. I really loved it. Um, what's in your hand, right? That question, all of us have something God has given us, right? And next Sunday, some of you are going to have a message you're going to bring, testimony that you're going to share. Um, what a great way to live out what Doug and Jan shared. And that idea of gather up the scraps, the fragments, the leftovers, right? Um, none of us are discarded, but God has a place for all of us. There's value in each one of us and our lives, and I think that their message and just living out the unique role that each one of us has been given by God was a great lead-in to what God has put on my heart for, for today. And so um, I'm going to move into that here. Earlier this year, I watched a great baptism Sunday online on a church service from Winnipeg. And it was amazing to hear these stories of faith and to see 11 smiling people come on stage and in just a moment lose their hairstyles in a moment of glory underwater. Um, I saw extra people in the background sanitizing hands and, and taking masks and giving them back after the baptism. Um, and I thought, this shows how this church has adapted tradition to continue an important command of Christ. And I've seen and heard this in other countries too. Instead of a nice baptismal tank like we might be used to seeing in one sensitive country, I saw the believers had inflated a colorful kiddie pool you know, inside the yard, behind a big wall around the yard, for baptism. Earlier this year, someone shared pictures with me of baptism happening inside rain barrels. <laughs> you just kind of squeeze each person in and barely get their head under, I guess. Just this week, I heard back from a friend who flew into a country 
to mentor a local believer in baptizing a new secret believer that had been found through media ministry. They went to a common swimming location in the area, they had some fun in the water, and then they inserted a quick and reverent baptism, and then they had some more fun and got away without the enemy seeing what had happened there. His eyes were hidden. This is pioneering work. And now these two believers are prepared to baptize others in the region as my friend has flown out of that region now again. And Doug and Jan also talked about multiplying groups, right? Where we don't do everything ourselves. Right? The Apostle Paul, he's like, I didn't baptize anyone, um, but you guys did. You know, stop looking at me. It's not all about me. It's not about us as, as ministers of the gospel. We want to see other people thrive in ministry. That's our role, to be nameless bass players. <laughs> That's who we're called to be, putting other people out there in God's presence. I've even heard of secret followers of Jesus in the desert who don't have that luxury of water at all. So how did they adapt the command of Christ? Well, they studied God's word together, as happened in the previous example I gave. And they saw how baptism, we heard from Romans 8, two chapters earlier, Romans 6, talks about how baptism is picturing the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that we participate in by faith. And water baptism, by immersion, points back to that going into the grave, that coming up. So, they then, at night, dug a six-foot grave in the desert at night and had a powerful baptism experience as they were immersed down into the grave and rose up again to new life. Isn't that faith-inspiring? How um, passionately they apply God's word to their situation. Never underestimate a spirit-filled group of believers including yourselves. So I got a question. Have you ever felt misunderstood? Maybe you've been misunderstood on your position in the pandemic. If you haven't, then I don't know where you've been. <laughs> Maybe you're not talking to people at all. <laughs> or people might misunderstand your theological position, assuming that they know where you're coming from, right? You're one of them. <laughs> or maybe others have branded you as being in a certain camp of thinking, without taking time to listen to you first and understand where you're coming from. We can't expect others to always understand us, nor do we need to make sure that we're always on the same page with everyone. But sometimes in life we do get an opportunity to hear others' concerns and to clear up misunderstandings and misconceptions. If you're following the news right now, there's huge fires in southern Turkey right now, and the tourists are just fleeing out of the hotels. We've got about 240 fires raging in BC right now, maybe 150 here in Manitoba. I stepped out of the house today with a deep breath filled with smoke in my lungs. And smoke is rolling over the landscapes here. A while ago it was two kilometers visibility, in some places even one kilometer in Manitoba. People are coughing, but Imagine when that rain comes and the wind from just the right direction comes and the smoke gets cleared away. We can see everything again. We can breathe again. It's so good. 
And there's some popular views about missions and our life in Christ that aren't based on truth or particularly well-informed, but they're popular. And I want to clear away four misconceptions today. Here they are. First one, missions is on pause during coronavirus. Number two, doesn't matter where we send missionaries to. Number three, we can avoid carrying our cross. And number four, God can't use us in missions. So that's where we're going today. And as you listen, you can pray that I'll speak God's word clearly. Let's dive in. Number one, it's complicated to navigate quarantines and the changing airline regulations that we see around us. And national borders being closed, it rarely happens this widespread on earth. But this doesn't mean missions has stopped. In fact, missions has always been a close friend of complicated circumstances. You might be surprised if you knew how much travel had been happening these last 18 months. And it's done carefully and legally, and it's still less than usual, but it's still done because of the importance of these trips. Just as baptisms still go on during coronavirus, missions and good news is not on pause during coronavirus. It's on. So, complications can't stop missions. Even now, God's people continue to go out. Some examples. Last March, while some people were canceling plans and staying home, I had a friend who moved his ticket a few days earlier just to make sure that if he would be stuck somewhere, he'd be stuck overseas. (laughs) He wrote, I'm not sure what this next couple of years is going to look like, but I feel the Father's invitation to get back out there and get among these precious people. And I've loved getting his emails during the time that he's been overseas through these 18 months. Another person flew out, spent most of this year on a remote island with no internet or hot water. She's made significant progress learning a new language in the company of local friends and her pet goat. And she just came back to Canada, preparing to go back to the field again long term. Another family sold their house, sold their vehicle, made it through two quarantines and airports and have finished setting up their new apartment just recently in a new country. And they just wrote this. We've been here for almost six weeks now. Sometimes it's hard to believe. Our apartment is increasingly becoming our home. The city of one and a half million people is beautiful, with many noises till late into the night. Children playing, busy traffic, music, fireworks. Sometimes we can hear drums playing when weddings are happening. Five times a day, the call to prayer from the minaret right in front of our window. Friday sermons and the announcements through the same speakers. In general, it seems like people have to announce just about everything through some kind of speakers. Specific garbage collection, when they spray against bugs, corona restriction updates. Sometimes a truck with potatoes passes by and announces it via speaker. Compared to having lived in our quiet small town in Canada for 15 years, this is a very busy place filled with people who've never heard of Christ. I thought it'd be good just to give you that little glimpse into their very real life, day-to-day, changes that they've embraced for the sake of the good news and because it's not on pause. And those that were already out on the field and didn't need to travel to get out there, they're also often seeing fruit. Not all of them, but there's lots of great stories that have been coming out. People adapting their methods for the realities of the pandemic. 
I know many teams doing small or large-scale food distributions right now. Other teams are supporting local governments in pandemic management. Many teams providing pastoral support for anxiety. An increasing number of teams are doing social media ministry. And one team I heard from this year just finished their 10,000th Bible study on Facebook that they completed with locals. Here's a favorite story from a team that was kicked out of one creative access country. So they live just across the border now from where they used to live, and they gathered the local church leaders together every three months to do something called dentistry and discipleship. I don't know if you've heard that in combination before. So they're pulling teeth, and this is movement-oriented church planting. And we just helped them bring in a container of 32,000 Bibles in the local language to equip this emerging local church movement that's there. And it's multiplying. There's four generations of believers there, multiple streams, and it's not just in one ethnic group, but it's spread to three neighboring tribes now where there's also churches that are growing. And in one year, they saw 16 groups multiply over 80, to over 80 groups of believers. So this is Acts 12, verse 24 in real life, which says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. I think sometimes our Canadian church culture just cuts off that expectation that churches would grow, never mind multiply. This is God's plan, that the church grows and multiplies. That's what we want to see. And it's okay to have hunger for that in Canada and in southern Manitoba, that churches can grow and multiply. That's preserve our vision for that. Missions at the Unreached is just as exciting at the macro level, the bigger level here. And there's a report that came out from a researcher back in November, and this is what it says. Based on what we've documented, movements to Christ currently include at least 77 million disciples in the world in 4.8 million churches. Of the 77 million, estimates say roughly 30 million disciples are from Muslim background and another 30 million from Hindu background. This is huge. There's more information on this. I'm kind of summarizing. But I want you to know that God is at work and that this is happening now. It's happening now during the pandemic. It's not stopped for some reason. God isn't waiting this one out. He's not. If anything, he's more present than usual because people are disturbed. And when people are unsettled, then they're hungry for God. And God says when we're hungry for him, we're going to be filled. He's present, pouring himself out. And I hope that you can get a real sense of that this is where the globe is at right now as our sovereign Lord is overseeing things. So as I give these examples here at the beginning of God being on the move, I'm not saying everybody should start traveling immediately and avoid advice to stay home that we sometimes get. But I am saying there are reasons for essential travel. And just like we honor truckers that are keeping our supply chains running, and good chance you know some, we have some in our family, we honor gospel messengers who are urgently addressing the far greater pandemic of sin. Sin is further reaching it's 100% contagious, and the symptoms are more severe, and they're longer lasting. So as fear and death increase, 
our mission to offer true hope is more important than ever. This is an urgent call today for more workers in the Great Commission. The Lord of the Harvest has never put any of his workers on CERB before. So missions is even bigger than what we think it is. It's actually a great story that starts back in Genesis 1. There we see God creating humanity in love and then watching us reject him and fall and then enacting the greatest rescue operation in the universe to get us back. So mission is God's mission. God himself is the missionary. He has reached us, and through us as his ambassadors, going to these countries, he plans to reach everybody else. It's a good time to refocus on missions because of just the season we're in. There's shaking in the world. It can feel scary sometimes. There's coronavirus, there's wars, there's drought, there's fires. There's everything going on right now. And, yeah, we see, we see violence, we see slavery, we see injustice, we see divisive elements. And these even come into the church, these divisive elements. So here's my question. What should the posture of the church be? There we go. You can see the picture there. Should the church cower in one corner, biting our nails in apprehension? What's going to happen? What should we do? Should we crawl into our shell until the problems of the world just go away and it gets easy again? Is that who the church has been created to be and saved to be? Or instead of focusing on the stormy waves, as Peter did for a bit, are we going to be more like Captain Marvel here? Captain Marvel has superhuman strength. She can fly, and she's been described as a superhero who's a bridge between Earth and space. Isn't that a cool description? Almost sounds a little familiar. Do we see our born-again identity ready to face the darkness as the anointed bride of Christ with an unbelievable strength that is not our own? Will we lift our eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ remembering that it's he who rides the white horse, wearing a robe that's dipped in blood because he's already conquered death, and he's going to finalize victory at the end. Hmm. And we remember, you know, what's, what's the rush? We could ask that question, right? What's the urgency? And it's important to remember that missions actually is not God's plan for all time. We need a reminder of that too. The church isn't supposed to do missions forever, but instead, missions is, according to Matthew 24, 14, missions is a task to finish. We're going to be done with missions someday, folks. The job's going to be finished. It's over. In Matthew, we read, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. You can call it the great condition if you want. That goes with the great commission. That brings us to our second misconception to clear up. It doesn't matter where we send missionaries to. It's true. Sending a missionary is exciting from any church. But does it matter where they go to? When I go and visit churches, I like to visit their missionary boards or just ask people where their missionaries are serving. And then I celebrate that involvement wherever people are. But most often, sometimes, 
or, but often most or sometimes even all of the missionaries are serving in places where a strong church presence already exists. In fact, 80% of the world's missionaries serve in Christian areas of the world. I'm not sure if you knew that before. So should we just drop other missionaries' support and move on? No. I believe it's wise to honor commitments made to support missionaries, recognizing it's the Holy Spirit who sends workers out into the field. But can we be more strategic about our future sending of missionaries? We want Jesus to return, but it's clear that first we need to announce God's kingdom geographically in all the world and ethno-linguistically to all the nations, to all the ethnic groups, all the peoples of the world. These are two things that are clear in the instructions of Scripture. This is a big task, but I think we can say that with a billion of us working together, it's not too big. But we do need strategic focus. We can no longer think it doesn't matter where we send missionaries to. Our family lived where three tectonic plates converged together, and earthquakes were a regular occurrence. So we had a spoon and a glass, and when it would rattle at night, we knew to jump out of bed, grab our kiddos, and sling them over our shoulder, run out the house. And it was kind of scary, and it was kind of fun and exciting, especially since the earthquakes weren't so strong in the city right where we lived. But there was an earthquake in nearby mountains that was just devastating. People were needing food and shelter. And we could have just rushed a bunch of supplies out there. And it would have been exciting. And it would have felt great to have contributed to helping out. But the UN, the Red Cross, were also involved. And so there's a risk of one family getting five tents, the next family getting nothing. So we brought a rapid response team together and we visited the villages. We conducted a survey to find out the names, find out the actual needs of people. And since Westerners couldn't access this mountainous area because of militants and a high distrust of outsiders, my contribution was to analyze survey lists from all three agencies and determine who was truly in need. By strategic coordination, we did not waste resources or miss out on helping the most needy. Our survey team, it was a smaller team, was able to travel further than the others and even found a village that had been untouched by other relief efforts. So the time is short. What happens when we take a strategic view of world missions? I want to show a map. and You'll see the red area, this is unreached people groups, represents 42% of the world. And it's broadly represented in an area known as the 1040 window basically where that red is, which has 97% of the world's unreached people groups. In the green and yellow areas, that's where, very roughly speaking, this 80% of missionaries exists. So my question for you is, where do you think the church should send the next wave of missionaries out to? Should we send to the same countries where they already are? Or should we have an intentional shift of focus to where the least reached peoples are? Canada has needs for ministry. There's opportunities up north, in Quebec, even here in Winnipeg. And I would never say that we should stop reaching these needs. Never. 
But Canada is also in the top 30 most populous Christian countries, and we have 18,000 Protestant churches here in our country. The red area behind me is where there are actually populations of millions of people where less than 0.00001% of the population knows Jesus. It's a compelling reason to shift our focus. Here's one more map that shows dispersion, where the Christian missionaries are. And those are the bluish purple dots and where the non-Christians are. And I hope you can remember this one statistic. Only 3% of foreign missionaries today actually work among unreached people groups. And the group that I work with aims to shift that. The point is, we can't be involved just for the sake of doing something related to missions. If you're going to do something, make it count. Maximize your efforts. Maximize your investment. Unfortunately, the tide is starting to change, definitely. But we need more churches to catch this vision. Did you know that we actually could complete the task of bringing the gospel to every people group? And we could do it in this generation? It's not too big for us. And it's not too expensive. For each unreached people group, if there were 100 Christians working together, do you think that would be enough to do the job? Should be. 100 people working together. I mean, Paul went out with a few, and how many countries and people groups did he get churches started in? Actually, there's 78,000 Christians for each unreached people group out there. So we definitely could get the job done. The numbers are there. So I want, I want to change your mission's perspective a little bit, see a little bit of refreshing. There's 70 countries today that don't give out missionary visas. There's a bit of a tension there with that. So get this perspective. The Great Commission isn't actually gonna get completed by traditional missionaries. We need to refresh our perspective. In our basement, we have a map that um, places Oceania in the center instead of putting London, England in the center. It's a whole different view of the world. And in our dining room, we have a beautiful picture of a sunflower field in bloom under a blue sky. But we chose to hang it upside down. Now, the sky is a blue sea with a forest behind it and radiant yellow suns at the top a reminder of the value of seeing things from a different perspective. Instead of just looking to traditional missionaries, we need all citizens of God's kingdom on board, professionals and apprentices, singles and families, entrepreneurs, medical workers, teachers and students, bigger investors, smaller investors, young and old. Another perspective to refresh. If we look at gospel narratives, we can see the gospel of personal salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. And I just want to highlight, this isn't a right versus wrong perspective, but it's about balance, seeing God's story with a bit of a different lens. So we can see here, we've got Jesus as savior on one side, Jesus as king. Which one is wrong? Neither. They're both great. It's true. We've got our sins forgiven. We've got the reign of God restored. Right? A different aspect of good news. One emphasizes going to church. How about the church going out? Going to heaven, 
bringing heaven to earth. Being a Christian, being a kingdom priest, being born again, being transformed, victory over sin, victory over evil itself. Some helpful contrasts. And we could also refresh our missions perspective too. We've got the common missions perspective and we've got a kingdom perspective. These are just a few thoughts I've put together. This isn't a perfect science. The idea is simply to stir up our thinking. Common perspective, we can send anywhere, it doesn't really matter. Kingdom perspective, let's challenge people to go out to the frontiers and to the regions beyond. We might delegate missions to other churches that we might see to be more effective or more resourced. Or we might have eager personal involvement, that fear of missing out. <laughs> Common perspective is to see the danger and the risk. That's normal. We don't want to not see danger and risk. But a kingdom perspective is seeing God's power and seeing his calling. It's common to prioritize personal safety. At the same time, we want to prioritize obedience, don't we? Even more importantly, it's common to see missions as being for special Christians. In the kingdom of God, the commission of Christ is for every disciple, every disciple, and any disciple. It might be common to try to control things and then replicate what we've controlled and produced. But I believe a kingdom of God perspective is to empower and to multiply. You can't have both control and growth. It's only one or the other. So again, it's not sinful versus holy, but it's a challenge. Does your view of missions line up with God's word in the kingdom of God? And prayer is something we can do strategically too. There's a great prayer app. If you just search Priority 100 in your app store, you'll find a great prayer app. I encourage you to download it. It'll help you to pray strategically each day. So finishing the mission requires strategic focus. We saw that from Matthew 24, 14. But there's another obscure verse that shows one other requirement before God is going to draw the world's history to a close. In Revelation, we see the vision of missions clearly presented in Revelation 5, 9 and Revelation 7, 9. Every one of the world's ethnic groups standing before the throne, worshiping the Lamb. It's beautiful. But tucked precisely between those two references, in Revelation 6, verse 9, we see another picture, another condition that needs to be met. I'm going to read those verses. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, had joined them. This is a sobering few verses here to see how God is actually waiting for a certain number of his children to give up their lives, just as Jesus did, for their witness to the gospel. But this is missions here, folks. And we remember, just as God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, also precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And that verse brings us to our third point. 
Our calling has a cost to count. I think it's pretty normal to prefer a mindset that says, we can avoid carrying our cross. We instinctively act in ways, as humans, that have, where we avoid pain. And this instinct isn't wrong at all. It's God-given. But we're not called to live according to our instincts, as animals do. We're not even called to live by our faculties of reason, which define us as human. We are called to live in obedience to the king of kings. And sometimes, a commission task of the king will go against both instinct and reason, and it will require us to move counterintuitively towards pain, usually to bring healing through acts of sacrificial love. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's a promise. We sung of God's promises today, and this is one of them. You'll be persecuted if you're godly. Suffering is not exceptional for believers. Prison is not unusual for followers of Jesus. Martyrdom is the pattern that we were given by our Savior, by his 12 disciples. Do we seek this out? No, not at all, but we must expect it. If it's not happening, it's abnormal. It's not inherently wrong, but it is abnormal. Luke 14, 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Before we moved to Asia, a mentor encouraged us to follow this verse and count the cost. So my wife and I made a list of things like landmines, intense heat in summer, mosquitoes with cerebral malaria, separation from family back home, some hard stuff. And then we prayed into this list, and God spoke to my wife and I in separate, specific ways, giving us peace. And he'll do the same for any of you, as he promises peace to us, that we do not have to be led by fear in a world that we know is permanently filled with trouble. Trouble isn't just a fad. It's permanent. I remember how we first, when we first moved overseas, there was a kidnapping threat announced specifically for Canadian women. Within our first two weeks overseas then, we had a coworker who was killed close to where we were staying. Sometimes we would have three earthquakes in just one week, and we'd fall asleep sometimes to sounds of gunfire in the distance. We had a medical evacuation, we faced misunderstandings from all directions. We lost a number of our local and, and expatriate friends in attacks. And we had a number of close calls ourselves. Stress levels were consistently high. And in all of this, God's presence never left us for a moment. If anything, he was closer. It was difficult, but we actually loved living there. And God gave us overflowing gratitude and joy each year. And it was so hard when it came time that we had to leave. So the years have taught me to place great value on experiences that empty us, knowing that they make space, they make room for God's presence and for his grace in our lives. A.W. Tozer said this, It is doubtful whether God can bless someone greatly until he has hurt them deeply. Do we have the faith to consider the positive value of pain? 
I'll say it again. It is doubtful whether God can bless someone greatly until he has hurt them deeply. We must count the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. Dying to self, expecting pain, expecting criticism. I'd often leave home for work, and as I would step out the gate, I would recount Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I be afraid of? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I fear? God's word carried us day after day, and he was amazingly faithful to us. And God was no less faithful to the brothers and sisters who gave their lives during our time there. The key is to die before you go. Baptism, which is the mark of a follower of Jesus, reminds us that we already joined Jesus in his death. That was how the power of sin was cut in our life, and we were set free to join him in resurrection life. And if we are already dead, what do we really have to lose? We can try to preserve our lives and protect our stuff. Again, that's normal instinct. But Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, to preserve his life, will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever is already dead, will find it. So we know that God doesn't want us to avoid the cost of following Christ. Hudson Taylor summed it up well. We know how the Lord Jesus became fruitful, not by bearing his cross merely, but by dying on it. Do we know how much fellowship with him, or sorry, do we know much fellowship with him in this? He goes on to say, there are not two Christs, an easygoing one for easygoing Christians and a suffering, toiling one for exceptional believers. There is only one Christ. Are you willing to abide in him and thus to bear much fruit? Aren't those wise words? Wow. Not two separate Jesuses. You know, one for the persecuted church and one for us in the West. Whew. That means a lot. All right, let's look at our last misconception to clear up. God can't use us in missions. You might think that missions is just for weird people. And doesn't the church already have enough of those? So you might decide instead, you're going to get involved in other things and just leave missions for the strange Christians. Well, I want to challenge you a bit with a reminder on this one. And that is that there is a spiritual war being waged today. Some of you probably play video games. You could admit it. I know one of my best video game friends attended church here. And there's an old video game that I played called Age of Empires. Jaren, have you ever played that one? Yeah. All right. Maybe I saw a hand go up somewhere, I think. Yes. Nice. All right. Good. Good. Um, so we, in this game, you know that the enemy is real. You know it's only a matter of time until this attack happens. And so every single person must be engaged in activities that move you closer towards victory. So it's farming. It's mining. It's building, it's scouting. Each person's involvement is needed in order to survive. And this 
wartime mentality is what we as believers and churches must embrace. I want to illustrate it further. If you're watching the news in Afghanistan, you'll see that the Taliban now have perhaps taken half of the country. And people all over the country are afraid of what's next. There's pictures on the news now of Afghan women and men, you the next slide, filling the streets and joining the Afghan security forces to be able to push back the Taliban. There you go. I couldn't crowd in enough pictures that showed all the ladies in burqas holding machine guns right now. Seriously. When you live in a country that's desperate under attack, then everybody fights to defend or gets involved. Movie theaters, shopping malls, sports venues are emptied as men and women and children will all run to the fighting with weapons. It's only those with strong reasons who don't get into the fight. It's the exception to stay back. As Canadians, we are ranked in the top 10 most peaceful countries. But we can't let this trick us into complacency, thinking we're not involved in the great battle for humanity's souls. We need now to adopt this wartime mentality where it's all hands on deck and we boldly step into God's salvation enterprise. Some need to stay back. Some need to go. But our commander-in-chief has a role for each one of us. The purpose of the church is not to preserve our comfort, but to serve our king. And like 2 Timothy 2.3 says, to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Again, we heard from Romans 8 earlier. Thanks, Chris. New life from the Spirit, what we've been given. We're getting towards the end here, and I want to read a few verses from 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 15, I'll skip one, and I'll go to verse 20. He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Again, God has a unique role for each one of us. And we see in here how we are all declared to be ambassadors. It's not an optional category for a follower of Christ. Each one of us is an ambassador of God. It's a big job. It carries authority. It carries privilege. It carries responsibility. And in these verses here, we've heard of three things that God gives us. He gives us new life. That's the basis for all of this. We've been transformed. And he gives us a task, the task of reconcilia reconciliation, reconciling the world. And he gives us a message We've been given a message of reconciliation, a message the rest of the world doesn't understand yet. And so our task is to take the message that we've been given and spread the new life that we've received and also been given. 
The missionary pioneer Hudson Taylor also said this, many Christians estimate difficulties in the light of their own resources and thus attempt little and often fail in the little they attempt. All God's giants have been weak men and women who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and presence with them. Isn't that freeing? We don't have to be amazing. I have so many weaknesses, I could stand here and talk to you for 10 hours about my weaknesses. <laughs> and I won't put you through that. But man, we serve a powerful God. Who's willing to get involved? Who's willing to give up their life? Are you willing? It takes a church to go. Will you be a church that goes, that you're in forward motion constantly? Will you keep this call and this cost at the forefront of your planning, of your priority setting, of your conversations? Will you commit to preparing, to going, to sending and supporting, to have an impact for the eternity of millions of lost people? If you're interested to take steps forward in understanding missions and considering your role, whether you're looking to go out for yourself or get more involved from home, talk to Ange and I. We'd love to just hear from you and know where you're at. I've got a couple great opportunities. One is the Perspectives course. It's coming out September 7th again for a new round. Has anyone taken Perspectives before? All right, I really hope that the next time I'm invited to come here, there'll be a few hands that go up, honestly. So several hundred thousand believers have gone through the Perspectives course, learning how to become a global Christian. It gives you a perspective on missions that's based on history, culture, strategy, and God's word. These four lenses, these four perspectives on God's intent for us to be global-minded believers. And it's transformational. There's discounts available. It's totally online. You don't have to travel. Let me or Ange know if you're interested. We also have our annual fundraiser event coming up with three amazing speakers who are going to be telling kingdom stories. You're not going to want to miss. There's some exciting stuff happening overseas right now and stuff that I don't really want to share on YouTube. So let us know if you'd want to be invited to attend that. Um, we'd also be happy to give our ministry updates to you. I don't have a sign-up list here, but just let us know. Some of you are getting those already, and if you're not and would like to, just let us know. We're happy to share those with you. I hope this morning we've been able to clear away some of this smoke clear away some of the misconceptions about missions. The time for missions is right now. Good news is not on pause. God's love is eternal and it's overflowing, but the world lacks it and is starving because his love simply hasn't been presented to them. But God is not yet done revealing himself to the world. The moment the gospel has been preached to all nations, and the last martyr has given her life, we will all know it at once. That trumpet blast is going to be so loud, folks. Whew, I can't wait. And until then, let's be strategic with our lives. Let's count the cost and not shrink back from it. Let's find our unique role. Each one of you has one. And let's step into that role with bold strength. I see your church stepping into a new season of fresh obedience to the Great Commission. And as you do this, may God bless you with an uncontainable joy that just spreads to the ends of the earth.
Let me just pray. Father God, we thank you that you have chosen us. You have picked us to be those that get the privilege of inviting others to follow you. You could have done it yourself or announced it through angels, and you said, no, I'm going to use broken and weak vessels instead, and that's us. Lord, if we don't see our weakness, then open our eyes to how broken we are. And if we don't see how complete you've made us in Christ, then open our eyes to how fully you have filled us and made us sufficient in light of our weakness. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us all we need to serve you and to represent you to a lost word with power and with authority and with sacrificial love. So I just speak your blessing over Lamar Christian Fellowship that they would be fruitful in obeying the Great Commission. In Jesus' name, amen.